Whoever was the first to say, "'Tis better to give than to receive," obviously never was up for an Oscar. Now they're wonderful. They all have their Oscars. But are they happy? Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies with the most Oscars and no wins whatsoever. I'm your host, Danny Vincent. Mi dispiace che dovevi guardare un film così triste. Buongiorno. I'm Sarah. <laughs> A mamma mia. A let's go. I'm Caleb. Oh, yeah. Mushroom Kingdom, here we go! <laughs> so, this is part two of our two-part episode about the 49th Academy Awards. But as a recap, the 10 nominations at this Academy Awards was Network, it won four. Another film at 10 nominations, Rocky, it won three. All the President Men was nominated for eight awards, it won four. Bound for Glory was nominated for six, it won two. A Star is Born was nominated for four. It won one award. And then there was two films of four nominations and no ones. One of them was Taxi Driver, which we covered in our last episode. And another one is Seven Beauties. Sarah, what was Seven Beauties nominated for? Um, Seven Beauties was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. It lost to Black and White in Color from the Ivory Coast. Uh, Best Director for Lena Wertmuller. She lost to John G. Alvinson for Rocky. Best Actor for Giancarlo Giannini. He lost to Peter Finch for Network and Best Original Screenplay, also for Lena Wertmuller. She lost to Patty Chayefsky for Network. All right. Now, I didn't give ceremony details last week, so I'm going to give them really quickly now. Uh, these awards were um, hosted by Richard Pryor, Ellen Burstyn, Jane Fonda, and Warren Betty. Network came the second film. Win three acting Oscars, one of only three. You guys remember the first because I know you remember the third. Well, the first was a streetcar named Desire. Sarah, what was the third? Wait, say that again. What was the what was the streetcar? Three acting Oscars. Three acting Oscars. Oh, yeah. it's uh, everything everywhere. Yes, all at once. Oh. I got one. Well, that's for the not. First time ever. I I disagree with that one, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> this is the last. Oscars for a film to get five nominations in acting, which of course is not work. And for that, I say justice for James Hong. If we're going to give Jamie Lee Curtis an Oscar, James Hong could have got a nomination. <laughs> Just saying. Also, Stephanie Shu could have gotten the Oscar instead. Mm, I, I, I won't get into that. That, that's the rhetoric I don't. I, that was the rhetoric that got me annoyed last year. I was like, we can be mad about a couple people. I'm not going to be mad about Stephanie Shu. We mad about Carrie Condon or Angela Bassett. I'm not going to be mad about Stephanie Hsu. Anyway, Network is the 11th of 15 films to date to receive nominations in all four acting categories. Peter Finch is the first ever posthumous acting award. Um, Beatrice Strait holds the record for the shortest performance ever to win an acting Oscar. She's also in Network. She's in Network for five minutes and two seconds. And she won Best Supporting Actress for it. Who does she play? She plays like the mom, right? Uh, I know. She, oh, not the she, mom. Is she like? Well, she, I know. Really I know mom. the scene she plays that the she's wife. in. The wife. Yeah, I remember yeah. that scene. Yeah, she's the wife of the guy of Max, I believe. 
Who's I haven't like seen that movie character. in a long time. Well, not the main. The main character is Peter Finch, and then there's Max, who's like, like Peter Finch is like the Gatsby of that movie, and then Max is like the Nick Carraway, and then it's like, yeah, she plays her husband. Um, Doing an episode on Network would be fun. Network is a great movie. I love Network. I know. Well, um, we're not. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it won way too much. <laughs> um, Piper Laurie was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Carrie, which was her first role since The Hustler in 1961, which makes her nominated for two consecutive roles 15 years apart, which is a fun little piece of trivia. Um, fun fact that we're all aware of here, Lena Wertmuller, first woman nominated for Best Director. Um, Barbara Streisand is the first ever woman to win Best Original Song, which is kind of crazy, <laughs> um, for her song for A Star Is Born. Um, she's the only person ever to have won Academy Awards for both acting and songwriting. Um, boo, and I think that's about it. Everything else here is like, there's no special achievement awards. The only special achievement awards were a tie in visual effects, basically, where they didn't want to do two nominations. So they just gave them both wins. Uh, but yeah, that is the 49th Academy Awards. So we talk about this movie. <laughs> so, Seven Beauties. It's about a guy named Pas- Pascali. Was that his name? Yep. It's about a guy. Yeah. He's a bad guy who kills a dude and is really bad at covering it up. So, and I'm, te- I'm going to give the plot linearly. It splits it. The movie's told non-linearly, but bad at covering up the murder. So he pleads insanity and goes to an asylum where he rapes a woman. And because of that, he gets, well, honestly, that doesn't really have any bearing. Then World War II starts and he gets, uh, he gets out of the asylum and goes to war. And then, and this is where the movie starts. He deserts his platoon and gets caught by some German soldiers who put him in a concentration camp. And from there, he, you know, does he tries to, you know, either get out or just survive. And the main way he does that is by trying to seduce one of the female Nazis there. It's a movie. It's also Italian. It's a very Italian movie. It has a very, it, it's, it's a comedy. If that was, <laughs> that was not made clear, but it's a very Italian <laughs> comedy in the sense of like, it's very dark. It's a very, it's very like the ending is very Italian. The whole thing is very Italian. I like if you know Italian movies of this era from like the 30s to this era, they're all kind of like this. This movie was insane, guys. (laughs) I really don't even know how to process this one. (laughs) I that's really where I'm at with it. It's like I I don't know what to even say here. I didn't. So I really didn't like the content of it. Obviously, I didn't. Then it's controversial because of its content. Um, but I really like the ending, and I feel like the arc of the character was very well done. Um, it just this very nihilistic ending for this character. So I really liked that. Um, I like certain aspects of it. I just the content is hard to get over. I think it does have a trigger warning on Canopy. If you try to watch it, it will pop up and say. Warning, you're about to watch something with extremely graphic content. 
my partner walked in about three quarters of the way through this movie. And specifically, the, the part she sat down and watched with me was the part where he is trying to make love to the Nazi. Um, and afterwards, you know... That was my just, favorite scene in the movie. I'll be real. That's like the one scene in the movie I understood what was going on. <laughs> yeah, but but if you, if you don't have that <laughs> hour and a half beforehand, it's pretty confusing, let me tell you. Afterwards, well, first off, she asked why we chose this one, and I'm like, we don't get a choice. Um, <laughs> but then she asked me what I thought, and I was like, I, I think I... I appreciate what they're trying to go for, which is examine the type of person who would allow fascism to rise. And because of that, I think the, um, like you were saying, Sarah, the arc is really well executed. I need a little bit longer to stew on this movie and maybe this conversation can help out figure exactly what I feel. Cause this movie is, it's a, well, uh, it's definitely challenging. <laughs> let me tell you. Since you mentioned your partner, I'll mention mine, which is that we almost watched this movie together. Uh, she's very into Italy, and I was like, I feel like this is a bad idea. <laughs> Let's not watch this one together. <laughs> but we, I sent her a voice note right before I started. like, here's the DVD menu, so you know when I'm going to be done with this, because I'm starting it now. And she sent back, oh, I recognize that song. It's from Life is Beautiful. Wonderful Italian movie. I was like, I wish I was watching Life is Beautiful. I feel like I would understand Life is Beautiful. Also, that would mean we're in the 90s, which means that I wouldn't be like, I'd be more in tune with what the type of filmmaking that's going on here. Uh, this was a lot. This was a lot of a big movie. I feel like for me, my litmus test, obviously I watch a lot of female directed movies. I try to do that occasionally. My litmus test is like, can you tell that a movie is directed by a woman? Does it need to be directed by a woman? What is a woman's perspective on a movie like this? And the scene where he is trying to seduce the prison guard, to me, kind of put things in perspective. I feel like I get a lot of shades of like American Psycho in this movie. It's kind of this deconstruction of this male figure who has lived his life on easy mode basically and just kind of it's kind of a comedy of errors in the sense of like his actions are finally catching up to him and it ends on this very somber note where he realizes that he's the product of his own actions and to me i feel like that is a very uniquely not female person i hate to be like well f- women have more they're more perceptive when it's stuff like this. It's not like that. It just like, it feels like a female perspective to me because it feels like an outside perspective of this man. Yeah. I think that what's interesting is how he performs differently in the different situations he's in. So at the beginning, he's performing this very, um, there's a lot of bravado, a lot of macho. It's this, I assume a very Italian type of masculinity at the time. And that's what ultimately gets him into trouble. And I say he's performing this. I do think he believes it to a certain extent, but he's definitely trying to project down to other people. And then he obviously has to perform being insane to get into the asylum to avoid being executed. And then he performs the whole seduction routine in the concentration camp 
And I think you're right, Sarah. At the end, he has no, like all of his performances, like he's gone through his, what he's able to do and he doesn't have anything else. And he's left to just kind of like actually reckon with who he is. I obviously uh, don't know too much about the female perspective from my own lived experience, but I think it is interesting, especially with watching a lot of movies with pretty misogynistic characters before this, how all of the uh, misogyny and sexual violence in this seems to be framed less romantically or idealistically than in something like how Travis Bickle sees uh, women in Taxi Driver or how Linny talks about women women in Linny. Um, I think that's where I saw the, the kind of fingerprints of this being a female-directed movie. I'm going to say something that might be controversial that has nothing to do with this film being directed by a woman. And it's going to be that even as someone who's watched plenty of films in several different languages, the fact is to me, I still exist in a spot where if I watch a film that's not in English, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm not going to say the word resonate because there's obviously many, many foreign films that I find incredibly resonating. Obviously, the most, I mean, you know, Parasite is just a great movie. You know what I mean? Like Parasite is just a great movie. The Farewell is just a great movie as a foreign language film. Minari, I'm, I'm trying to list American ones too, you know, but like Miyazaki, um, plenty of great foreign films I've seen through my life. I am very hard pressed to compare a movie, and this is also related to my viewing experience. Uh, this is something I've always said. It's very, it's difficult for me to really pay attention to a foreign language film outside of a theatrical setting. That's just an issue I have. That's why I recently, when I was running for all the Miyazaki movies before The Boy and the Heron, I tried to catch all the Ghibli Fest showings because it's just hard for me to give it my full attention at home. With all that said, and recognizing my own short failing here, I just find it very impossible to personally compare how this movie does that in regards to comparing it to Lenny and Taxi Driver. Just because to me, this is a different form. And Sarah, you said you're very familiar with Italian films of this era. I am not. Mm, I wouldn't say I'm like super. I just, I I think the only Italian film I've seen that's pre this movie is Bicycle Bicycle Thieves. But I think there Um, are shades of Bicycle Thieves in this. I think Bicycle Thieves is also that dark, dry sense of humor. It does have that sort of downer ending. I think Bicycle Thieves has a little more, well, not a little more, a lot more sympathy towards its failing protagonist. And then this does, which is fair. I don't want to have sympathy for this protagonist. Uh, I also think that there are parts of this film. I haven't seen Bicycle Thieves, but I have seen Rome Open City, which is I've heard is equivalent. I think this one's a lot more heightened in certain areas, especially towards the beginning. Um, Like that fight he has in the brothel is very, it's almost kind of like dance in a way. It's very choreographed. Um, Obviously, as you get, further in and the more heavy the content gets i think it moves away from that heightenedness um but i do think you can see especially in the amount of shaky cam that's in this kind of that italian neorealist style had an influence Mm -hmm. i do think in comparison to taxi driver and more in comparison my reaction to taxi driver i think last week i made the comment like this is crazy that this movie like, I don't think I said it was crazy. It was, uh, it, it felt like a crazy leap forward. Whereas I'm watching this, I just think it's crazy that like the Academy embraced this 
Um, <laughs> I think it's crazy that, you know, the old, you know, the old fuddy-duddy Academy, they probably didn't even think it was directed by a woman, right? They, they probably did not, I'm not gonna be like, they didn't realize that they're not that dumb, but it's like, what, but it's more like, let's nominate this for screenplay, and it's certainly an original screenplay. I'm not, I think it's crazy this got, like, an acting nomination for lead actor. Uh, Cause it's really a really a weird movie in a lot of ways, and I just imagine you know like being because I always think about like you know there are the people in the academy. I'm not sure this this probably wasn't the deal back then, but now there's all these people in the academy. who's like, oh, I gotta do catch up now that the Oscars. And I'm just imagining going through these right in order. It's like, all right, I just watched Taxi Driver. Let me put in uh, Seven Beauties and just being like, what? What did I just watch? <laughs> I do think I'm not an expert on the Academy and Academy history, but I do like they were different in the seventies. I mean, Hollywood was going through its own kind of reckoning. And I, I feel like there was more, there was a growing awareness of foreign films and an appreciation for them. Um, I remember when I was looking up clips and this may have been late sixties, but you know, same general time period. Uh, they had a whole segment that was, they were interviewing a bunch of foreign filmmakers um, like Akira Kurosawa, Jean-Luc Godard. Um, and it, it's just interesting. I feel like maybe there was just something in the cultural zeitgeist that hit about this. I also think there's something provocative about a former fascist country now having to like deal with it. It's like history. Um, only you know a decade or a couple decades removed from the time period like it's it's still very much in living memory yeah i agree that was my first thought like when it first started was just like how fresh like there are people there like even like like you know 20 years later with saving private ryan like people were still alive and it is like it does have a lot of political themes and it is really very anti-fascist so for it to really address that head on feels it feels very fresh. Kind of like Catherine Bigelow making the Hurt Locker 20 years after Iraq. I think I don't know. It's kind of like how the biggest movie that's gonna sweep the Oscars this year is something called Dumb Money. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I had to take the bait. <laughs> Um, I do think this is actually, I think you're right to say, I think it is weird always to see something like this where it's very contemporary and critical, as you said. I actually think what I think more for Zero Dark, uh, I think more Zero Dark 30 than Hurt Locker, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, it's because I haven't seen Hurt Locker, but also because Zero Dark 30 literally had to be rewritten to kill Osama in modern at the end because it happened in the middle of production or like before it was about to shoot or something. Um, but I don't know, I think it's, interesting i think but i don't all this stuff is stuff that intrigues me about this movie but it also just this movie exists on such a plane of existence that i found it very hard to even like yeah like i'm like yeah i guess that's cool about it you know but it's like huh still i still can't can't really really process what i watched last night i feel like and i had this thought i had this thought during my my marathon in october um I just feel like like Hollywood and then like British films, like films like that are so they have such a hold over the rest of the world. 
So when you watch like a foreign film, like it is such, it's always such a weird movie. Like it's always such a different movie. Like I watched a movie from Argentina and it just like the culture and like how the movie, like just how everything is framed and the act, like how people act is just so different. And all of our movies make it over there, but their movies don't, you know, we don't necessarily see all these movies that they make. And like, I watched a Korean film and Korean movies are just filmed in a certain way, like that they just look so sharp on the eye. And it's like, this is a Korean film. Like, you know that it is. And I think that that's, I think that's kind of where I'm getting that sort of like Italian neorealism from this is it just feels like an Italian movie to me. Like it just has that like, foreign film flavor to it and i think that that that's kind of partially where that weirdness is coming from is that it is just like so different than anything that we would have that we would make yeah it definitely has like a unique perspective and language um and like you know i you learn about italian neorealism a little bit but not as much as like the french new wave or um Japanese cinema and stuff. So it it definitely, like I said, it's not just the content that's challenging. It's also how the content's presented. Mm-hmm. Um, I do I do remember I took a Chinese film class, and it was through the language department at school. So it wasn't a film professor; it was just a dude from China who was teaching Chinese. And so he picked the most generic movies from China, like not the big ones that you would expect. They were just like, here's a generic war movie. Here's a generic like teenage romance. And it was kind of fun to see those because there is like there is a big it's a small window that you have to cram all the foreign films into America through. And like it's pretty selective about what gets, you know, what gets subtitled, what gets promoted. Mm-hmm. One, the, one thing that I feel really lucky about always is by my work is an AM an AMC that randomly gets Pretty much any Korean film or any any Indian film that gets a decent level of American distribution. By a decent level, I just mean it will play Indian movies and Korean films that the AMC downtown doesn't get. And I've seen some really cool hidden gems. I've seen some bad stuff. I remember the worst thing I've ever one of the worst things I've ever seen was this Bollywood comedy about artificial insemination that had some very bizarre mixed messaging about, I feel like eugenics and stuff like that. I didn't, I didn't really know what to make of that one, but, but then I see cool stuff like earlier this year, I think one of my first movies I saw this year, I did double feature of Puss in Boots, which wasn't, you know, that's an American film, but then I also stuck around for this Korean film that I don't think is anywhere on streaming right now called the night owl. That was basically just like set in ancient times about a daredevil esque like, Someone basically daredevil superpowers in a king's court. And it was just like, okay, this isn't. And it wasn't like an action movie. It was just like a, a murder mystery with this guy at the center. And I was like, this is cool. This is interesting. <laughs> like, but it's also like, you know, it's a Korean film that like has like a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes or 70%. You know what I mean? It's not like a movie that people are like, oh, I have to go rush out to see Burning. Or like, I have to rush out to see a Bong movie. Or a Park Chan Wook movie. It was just a Korean film, and I thought that was really cool. How do you guys think that this movie handled its humor? I mean, I, I personally, I feel like it was one of those things where you're watching it, and you know, it's supposed to be funny because of how it's edited and how characters look at each other, but then you're just kind of staring at the movie. 
At least that's about it for me. Well, yeah, I didn't find it to be particularly funny, but I do think that, like, you definitely know when it's not supposed to be funny. Like, you know, during the rape, you know, during the whole thing with the not like everything with the Nazis. Well, most things with the Nazis. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a few very absurd moments of him, right? Trying to win over the. <laughs> I guess that particular when he's trying to seduce the woman, I think that that's not really a funny scene. But like, yeah, there. I think that it when you really notice that it's not humorous is when it's not supposed to be. Yes, like um, I think it's well. I don't know. why I'm being so cautious to say this. Maybe it's because we didn't give a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. But Caleb already mentioned it. Um, is uh, the rape scene in this is incredibly hard to watch, which is good. I don't think it should be easy to watch, you know. But it's something where it's like when it happens, just kind of like I I don't know because I I also I feel like I'm like. I think now I'm on the opposite of the argument last time, right? Where I kept going like, well, Travis is fine. Like, like, in this case, I'm like, this guy is so repulsive on every like level that I'm confused on what my gateway is to caring about this story. Which I feel like is where everyone else was last time, where I'm like, well, it's whatever. Maybe I'm xenophobic secretly, and that's what this episode is about. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what makes it easier for me to watch this than maybe Travis is that like I think the movie is very clearly stating its message. Like I think this is very explicitly like, and I think the monologue at the beginning, the oh yeah monologue, it's all about like who are the types of men who allow this to happen. And because of that, I think doing a character study of um one of those men is interesting. And the movie never tries to get you on his side. Um it's true, it never does. So I think I think if Yeah, and I, I think that's an impressive uh an impressive thing to do to hold my attention for two hours without having to do that. So And I do think like obviously I didn't I didn't like the rape scene. I don't think I've ever said that I like a rape scene, but I I like its placement in the movie. I think it's you know, it is like more towards the end. So it is interesting. I I always think it's interesting when you're like with a character for so long and then there's like a shift. Um, I already knew that the scene was going to happen, but I was like, what is it going to happen? And then, you know, there's more, you know, they, they kind of build a little bit of sympathy when he's in the concentration camp and he has to shoot his friend and all that stuff. But I feel like where it is in the movie And like the steps that it takes to get there is it's interesting, kind of like, I don't know, it it, to me, it like he's not a sympathetic character, but it is interesting how like he can he continuously challenges who he is as a character. Like at the beginning, you think, oh, he's just a goofy guy. He's a little bit misogynistic. And then it, you know, it kind of keeps snowballing. And I mean, to get to that theme, then kind of pushing for the movie that is that is how like fascism takes root is it like it's it takes small steps forward and it snowballs into eventually taking over um which you kind of get in there's a scene where he's waiting to get sent off to the asylum and he's talking to another prisoner who is a socialist and is getting sent off to prison because he opposes uh mussolini and it 
you know, our main character is like, well, sure, he might, you know, he might not be perfect, but we used to have riots. We used to have strikes. There used to be disorder in the streets. And the person goes, yeah, but he didn't solve the problems. We don't have riots and strikes because he made those illegal. And I think, I think that is really the logic a lot of people take is there, they like, they're like, well, there was a problem and now that problem's gone. It wasn't solved, but the fact that it's gone is good enough for people. Yeah. I mean, sorry guys. It's really, this is one of the ones for me where I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like, I guess. Sure. I can see that in the film. Maybe. Seems like that's probably the intent. So no for me. <laughs> no for me, dog type of thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sarah, what about you? Is that a no for me, dog? What? The movie? I know it's not. That's why I'm just passing the buck to you. I don't know. I mean, I, I think ultimately I learned and I liked it. I do think that it's an interesting movie. I don't like a lot of things about it, but, you know, I think that I came off as kind of a stickler in the last episode because I'm like, oh, well, that was inappropriate. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like (laughs) there, I do feel like a lot of stuff here is not great in how it's portrayed, but I also understand why it's in the movie. Um and it also was a little bit educational for me because I guess I didn't realize that uh, the Nazis put their allies, uh, the Italians, in concentration camps, but they put everybody in concentration camps. So that makes sense. Yeah. I think there are a lot of small moments with the characters that I really appreciate. And one of them kind of goes to that point you're making, Sarah, where the female Nazi is talking about she's talking to our main character, but really just kind of talking in general. And she keeps calling him a subhuman Italian and all this stuff. Um, It really does go to this kind of central idea of Nazism, which was the master race. And the idea of the Aryan race was obviously absolutely ridiculous and based in uh, made up history and pseudoscience and all this nonsense. But it becomes a thing where it's like, if you logically buy in, then there's no real line you draw where you stop. Like, even if it is your allies, and even if there is a a political advantage to align with someone, you can't stop that ideology. And the character then goes on to talk about how, like, people like our main character who have no ideas and have no ideology will continue to find ways to survive where she sees, like, the Nazi cause is very noble and they're trying to create a master race and all this stuff and they're going to fail at it. Um, And I found that to be a really interesting both perspective, but also criticism of our main character. Um, And it's criticism coming from someone who the movie also has zero empathy for and also thinks is a monster. Um, And I, I just think it's that kind of complexity with its characters that, make it makes it effective i i won't say i i I don't know if i like this movie or not i don't think it's the type of movie that you necessarily like but i do think that it certainly tells its story well Mm -hmm. yay i'm sorry i'm sorry i have like literally nothing to say here i came here prepared to talk about two meta conversations with the film not for which have come up yet well one of them was briefly Well, we can talk about two things. One, 
is what Caleb brought up last time. I think on mic, maybe not about how we could talk about the foreign language category at the Oscars. The other is, you know, isn't Lena what, the next one is Barbara, right? Is who's the next female director nominated for best director? We don't know off the top of our heads. We have it's to look Sophia. at that. Sophia. Sophia. Sophia? Oh, Barbara isn't nominated for Prince Barbara, of Tides? That Barbara is the biggest... That's like she's like an infamous snub that she was never nominated. Oh, so she's she's like Baz not being nominated for Moulin Rouge type of thing, right? Sure. That was a big thing. Well, no, because Moulin Rouge was a famous... It's kind of like... I mean, I've seen Moulin talk- Rouge. I, no, I, no, I agree I with talking, that. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently. I don't remember who. But I made the joke about how like Michelle Yeoh has to go like and the winner is by a nose. And then they're like, ha ha, you're ta- Bradley Cooper. And they're like, ha ha, I get it, Danny. And I was like, do you get it? Because I'm not, I'm just referencing the Oscars and how Denzel said that about Nicole Kidman. They're like, what? Denzel said that? Um, and I think whoever the host was that you said, like at the beginning of the telecast, like, I guess Moulin Rouge directed itself. That's all I meant by that. Uh, I didn't know if that was the same for Prince but that was an, Barbara. Well, that was a, that, whoever. That was what Billy Crystal said. He said, I guess Prince of Tide directed itself. Okay, well then, but yeah, it must have been a reference to that. But that's crazy. It wasn't Sophia, so, it was Jane Campion was next. That Ooh. makes sense. And then after that would have been Sophia. And then I believe wasn't Bigelow the third or the fourth? Sorry. And then that's the first win was the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is this is just people who have been nominated, not people we're going to cover. No, yeah, I think no, this is but the, we do cover. This one is the other only one. Nom- This is. You're we right. Do, we do. We, we do, do cover one. Other. I mixed up. I mixed up her movie with another movie that I thought. But and if you're right, we do. Power of the Dog. <laughs> if she if she hadn't went for Power of the Dog, we would do that one too. I mean, we could also. T- who knows? Uh, female directed candidates this year would be what Barbie, Past Lives. <laughs> Burn. Five <laughs> nights at Freddy's. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's gonna sleep. Hey, you never know with Doongon, that best visual effects thing, it could it could sneak in that category. Who knows what that category is gonna be? <laughs> um shoot, now I'm trying to think of like what I don't know. I just see this diver I'm on the best uh director list and like stuff you know what i mean like the what do you call it the diversity page and i'm reading it and i'm just like oh yeah we still have no black director winning best, best director yep this still hasn't <laughs> happened because i always think like it's african-american because like people were very specific about that when steve mcqueen got nominated that he was but i believe steve mcqueen is actually the only non-american black person to be nominated for best director because he's british Everyone else, it's John Singleton, Lee Daniels, Steve McQueen, Barry Jenkins, Jordan Peele, and Spike Lee. But Spike Lee should have won, in my opinion. Doesn't really matter if Black Clanton wasn't the best directed film that year. Spike Lee. <laughs> that, that was what I think is like, it's Spike Lee. And yeah. That movie's well directed. But anyway, female directors. Go away, Spike. <laughs> Wait, wasn't that the year Roma came out? Yeah, I well, still think Spike, Spike Lee, Lee didn't won. deserve it. No, I don't care. Spike Lee should have won. And that, that, that's still my opinion on that year. I, well, here's the thing. Spike Lee, we should have won director and Roma should have won picture. But Roma didn't win picture, so I guess it has to take director because 
Roma deserves a top prize. <laughs> I mean, this is the flaw of the academy. The many flaws of the academy. This is a big one, right? That like, there are many directors who have had a incredible impact and have made incredible works and stuff, but like, they get one chance a year to win an award, and with all the biases and the campaigning and the politics. Like chances are you won't get that. So you'll have a director like Spike Lee, who definitely has deserved it many times over. And I mean, just Black Clansman was his only nomination. Yeah, I know, which, which is, is absolutely which is ridiculous. Because like <laughs> Malcolm X exists and do the right thing. Do the right exists, thing. But, yeah. But, I know yeah, I just had the weird realization that Alfonso Curon beat like a very heavily content like probably the second place in the category was a black director both times. Because um Gravity was the same year as 12 Years a Slave. And I, we just talked about Black Klansman. Kiran, what are you doing, man? No. Directing kidding. good I'm movies. Kiran is great. Being a great I director. Mean, those, two, those other two ones are great movies, too. I'm just saying, they're, great movies. they're all great movies. I can't be too mad. It's not like Green Book, one best director, right? But, I, but like on that note, I do feel like... So the Academy gave a woman the award two years in a row, including a woman of color. And for me, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, well, a woman's not going to win for like 20 years. I just... Oh, I just remembered Anatomy of a Fall for this year. But go on, sorry. It just is hard to feel like progress is being made at this point. And the same thing with like Asians. I feel like, you know, there was this big year for Asians and it's like, but is it really, is that really a thing? Like, what is it really going to be? I mean, yeah, I look at the uh, the nine Asian directors nominated for Best Director, and five of them are in the past, like, three or four years. And then before then, it's someone named Hiroshi Teishi... Oh, sorry, Inuritsu's face just popped over me reading his last name. Uh, Teishi Gahara, Akira Kurosawa, M. Night, and Ang Lee. Um, and then the other ones are... You know, all like Bong Joon-ho, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, Chloe Zhao, Ryusuke Hamaguchi, Daniel Kwan. So it's like all these are very recent, right? Um, I also think in the fear, point of female directors is, I think, is another thing to talk about here. And I think Sarah would immediately agree with me is female directors don't get a chance to be like a Tom Hooper, right? Or like even like the Daniels. Um, they won't just pop out of nowhere and win for their first thing. Probably the next female director that's going to win is going to be probably, I hate, hopefully I'm proven wrong, it's probably going to be Greta Gerwig, right? Or maybe Sofia Coppola comes back with something that's huge. I'm just saying, it's going to be a name, someone who's already a name. It's not going to be someone who just breaks through and wins like, you know, how Tom Hooper does. Like how, um, I need to open up the director winners, but I feel like they're, you know, this Tom Hooper winning is not like a one-off where it's like a big, like a new guy wins, right? This is something that happened. I guess Chloe Zhao kind of was it, but Chloe Zhao at least was like on the way. Uh, and that was also a pandemic year. So it feels like it didn't happen, to be very blunt. Like, I hate to be, well, say that. It, it does, did. It, still, it, it counts. It counts. No, it counts. But I can tell you, there are so many times when people walk up to me and go like, wait, Daniel Kalua won an Oscar? Like, it counts, but also people forget that it happened. That's all I mean so, by that. But what does it mean? What does it mean to have an Oscar? Like... Let's have the what conversation. Is this show about? Well, and I think yeah, that like, kind honestly, of. I think that that is kind of the point. Or like the artist guy. Sorry, that's what I was thinking. The artist guy. Michelle Hosanovicius? Yeah. 
He's, he's a dude he, who came out of nowhere and won. Yeah, but he directed a he bunch no of movies American before. Career. He has no American career, though. That's my point. Taylor, what were you going to say? Anyway. I just... I don't want to invalidate. Like, the real reason we do this is because we want to talk about movies with each other. Like, but the Oscars are an entertaining show and they obviously help, like, they give someone a blank check. Like, I think the Daniels have a blank check right now, hopefully, um, to make something. I think they had a blank check before they won, though. Let's be real. Everything I was such a phenomenon. They had a blank check lined up. But there's certainly certainly an industry boon that you get for winning ideally like i think unfortunately like i think chloe Zhao won't be able to cash in on it because eternals came out right after that but i, I think though she could go she's someone who could go to fox searchlight and get 20 million dollars you know what i mean like, yeah, yeah but yeah. that's still not that's not a blank check you're right it's not a blank. it's it's a check with a, it's a it's a it's a, a, it's a straight check. to hulu movie it's not anything yeah because sure. any other year Nomadland probably would have gone straight to streaming. So, like, what? What is? I mean, so there are marginal benefits. Make nomination there. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, this year fucking sucked. Like, make one, two Oscars that year, right? <laughs> so there are there are marginal benefits to winning an Oscar, and obviously, like, you would be happy to win one personally. Like, you'd feel a personal accomplishment. But what? To, Why to do risk we, sounding like, we all know the problems with it. Everyone has are, an issue with the Oscars. Well, barely anyone cares about them. They're dropping in ratings. People think they're out of touch. And then people like us think that they're racist and sexist, which they are. So like, that's what I was about to, wait, wait, I want to get into something really quickly, which is like, this is something I was single time about with Sarah, not on the pod, but off the pod where we were talking about how Lily Gladstone controversially switched before anyone saw the movie from best supporting actress to actress. And I had the realization that, you know, the real person I always point to as should have had a huge career after the Oscars. And granted, she had no career before the Oscars. But Lupita Nyong'o is the probably the most wasted person in Hollywood. Right. It took her what that movie came out in 2013. So it took her five years to get a leading role in a big movie. And as soon as she was in it, everyone was like, where's Lupita Nyong'o been? And since then, she hasn't gotten her leading role in a movie, even though everyone liked her performance in us. Right? Like, that is a movie that was sold on her. She, everyone liked her in it. And yet she just, like, it, it's like, that's what I was saying with Lily Gladstone is, in a way, I feel like the supporting actress, or Ariana DeBose, granted, COVID winner, right? What is, I mean, she, people say that she's not working, but she has been working consistently. It's just people don't. Role, to not make it just also, not make it just about women of color, but Alicia Vikander wins. What happened to her? You know, like she's with her shitty the husband. <laughs> there is hey, he's he's in a David Fincher movie and a Taika Waititi movie this year. My point is collecting collecting the, the movies. <laughs> my, my point is everyone who is not directly in the industry, and I would imagine a lot of people in the industry, all view the Academy as flawed. And this goes beyond the Academy. People see the Grammys as flawed. People see. Um, I don't know the about Emmys. the Tonys, but definitely the Emmys. The Emmys and then, are like, like the worst because they only ever nominate three shows. I feel like, like the Gra- I feel like the Grammys are bad too. I mean, I don't follow. That's fair. I don't follow the Grammys, but I just think about best supporting actress here at the the Emmys is literally like the entire White Lotus cast and the entire Succession cast. And I love Succession. Don't get me wrong. I love watching Succession, but 
I watch some of her shows too. <laughs> like, I think that I think this is the problem. I think that it's very easy to get caught up in the minutia of a campaign and a year and like all that gets nominated. When the problem is just like the idea that we have to pick a winner, that we have to crown like a homecoming king and queen or whatever. When I think what's more effective is if we just had a celebration and we uplifted like a large amount, like the best director race is like going to be, it's going to be a lose, lose no matter what I feel like, but a panel of like five of the most accomplished directors of the year coming together and having a conversation, which usually happens. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's good. And if anything good comes out of like all the campaign nonsense, it's that, but I think something that's much more effective for us as like fans and like, we have to make our top 10 list at the end of the year or whatever. And if you want to do that, that's fine. That's fun. But like finding more, like I think there are more celebratory ways of doing that, that uplift creators and uplift voices and stuff like that. Like I, I think, I think Femtober is a great example of that. Right. Cause like you're taking, you're not like focusing on like, I'm going to find the best female directed horror movie. Like you're going through a list and like you're exploring it. And that means you're going to watch good movies and bad movies. And you're going to have like a lot of chances to talk about a lot of different types of creators and types of uh, like subgenres, which within horror, I just, I'm sorry. I think the awards are stupid. <laughs> I, I mean, don't disagree. I think I have an issue always getting like re-addicted to them every year, right? Uh, I think I have a personal... The thing that I, I, I was thinking when you were saying this is I have a problem personally, and it's interesting because I contradict myself entirely here. I have a real issue myself with when I think about the term that people are due, right? People are due their Oscar, right? Because that's why no one's going to win this year because he's air quotes due, Granted, I think Oppenheimer is great. I think Oppenheimer is still the best directed film I've seen this year. But I, there's still a lot of stuff I haven't seen, right? Um, but then I get caught. It's so funny to me that I get I get very caught off in like directors are due, right? Like to me, looking at the 2021 Oscars, I'm like, well, Jane Campion is due, right? And I'm glad she wins because also The Power of the Dog is a phenomenally directed movie. But I'm like, none of these other people are due the way she is, where it's like she hasn't put out a movie in like 12 years and she doesn't ever get the financing to make a movie and she should have won this years ago, right? Um, but it's interesting because then I hear like people be like, for example, this year, Bradley Cooper, he's due for Maestro. I'm like, is he? Is he due? He might have been due for a Star Wars, but I don't think he's due for this. Or like, I don't ever think actors are due, right? Or like last year. That's a great example. We were talking about this earlier. Jamie Lee Curtis. How is she due? She, that was her first nomination. Like, I don't understand. But then I think Both of her parents well, is- never won. But this is where this is the real thing I'm bad at. I think people are due second Oscars, and this is this is something I really fight. I remember last year being like, "Well, I think the Fablemans win Best Picture because it's kind of silly Steven Spielberg has one Best Picture win." Or like this year, I'm like, you know, I'm fine with Martin Marty winning. He he only has one Oscar, and that's really weird. And that's where I personally struggle with like this whole idea, like the great filmmakers are due things when obviously they're not because there are so many great filmmakers who never won an Oscar. But it's something where it's like. Um, I think about how Disney put together a campaign to get Peter O'Toole a nomination for Rad 2 because he was overdue. But it's like, he wouldn't have fucking won if he got nominated, right? So it just well, rack up the count. <laughs> I think at that point, then the conversation should just be like, it's a Hall of Fame thing, right? right. Like, who gets inducted that's, this year? But, that's, that's, but that is what, what sucks is. then is they took it, they kicked it off. They kicked that off the broadcast, which is so silly. 
Because Samuel L. Jackson winning an Oscar obviously would have interested everyone more than anything that happened at last year's Oscar. Right? There's... Well, okay, Michelle Yeoh winning is still pretty cool. But, and Kei Kwan and stuff like that. There was cool stuff that happened. But I feel like to the average person watching the Oscars saying, oh, Samuel L. Jackson's going to give us an acceptance speech, that's going to make them tune in more than any other award given out that night. There's this theater award, and I don't remember what it's called, but it's they give awards to outstanding performances every year, and you only ever win once. So, like, mm-hmm. so, like, they gave, they didn't give an award to Ben Platt for Parade, but they acknowledged that he had a good performance, but he didn't get an award because he already got one. And I feel cool. like, like, talking about, oh, you know, Martin Scorsese is going to be there and Christopher Nolan's going to be there. And even like Greg Gerwig, like, like, I, I just feel like at a certain point, we're just desperate for fresh content and fresh like voices and i i don't necessarily agree with the daniels win but i feel like that was kind of this refreshing thing was that it was this very non-oscars movie and to kind of tie it back into seven beauties it is a movie that we find unexpected especially having watched taxi driver especially having seen you know rocky and network and etc it is just like I get like I get that there's a certain genre that's an Oscar bait film and that there's an Oscar bait performance and there's that kind of stuff. And I just feel like we don't award like f- new ideas and good, like interesting content in that way. I think about what you're ma- reminding me of is the Oscars we skipped because we were sitting at uh, the bar and how the best actor category that year included both Timothy Chalamet and Call Me By Your Name, which I still think, well, my memory in 2017, I really liked it. I haven't rewatched it since then, but I think that is the definition of like a breakout performance, right? But moreover, in my opinion, the coolest acting nomination of the last like 10 years, which is Daniel Clue and Get Out. Like, and that is something where I always look at that category like, yeah, one of those two should have won. And of course they gave it to Gary Oldman in a fat suit, right? That's just what the Oscars do. Well, it's like, and you and you talk <laughs> about Lupita Nyong'o and us, and it's like there are so many good performances like that that are just they're never even in the conversation. Or even yeah. like I'm about to say something that's like super film broing. Sarah's gonna be like, "Well, no, fuck that movie." But like Adam Sandler was very acclaimed in Uncut Gems, and even if he was an established actor, that was him in a very different mode. Look, I, they're both. You guys, this is a podcast. You can't see them. They're both kind of giggling at this. Um, oh, I wasn't. I wasn't giggling at that. But. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like that is something that people will be like, oh, like normal people, right? Like Adam Sandler is nominated for an Oscar, and I'm. It was a good performance. I'm gonna say that. Like it was. It was yeah, that yeah. was nominated. No one. I feel like no one would have had an issue with him being nominated. Right. I think. Yeah. I just, like how Jim Carrey was never nominated. Like, stuff like that. <laughs> it goes back to the fact that it's like, there can only be five noms. There can only be one winner. And then, mm. so automatically, it's kind of like self-sorted itself. So you get the same type of performances. And maybe you do have a nomination like um, Kalulia, but that and, that and that makes you sit up and watch. And I think I think Kiwi Kwan was like that last year, or this year. But well, I think then, all like, the... Every, I think... I think people, I do think of any of the winners last year, I think Michelle Yeoh was the reason people were like, were really rooting to win. I mean, Kay Kwan yeah. was locked, you know, but people were like excited to see if Michelle Yeoh could win. But go on, sorry. But what and movies that, 
One of the movies, <laughs> and I don't think this movie is like a, a unique achievement in cinema. It's it's like a, just a very solid movie, but it has it has kept me thinking since I watched it. Was you hurt my feelings? There's, and where are you gonna give? How are you gonna give you hurt my feelings a nominate or like a an award? Like there's just nothing. Uh, there you for give Julius Dreyfus the Actress and Comedy Award at the Globes, maybe. I don't know anything about the Globes because they're even more useless than the Oscars. The Globes are like saying, nothing. Like, Fair I, enough. I know. I get. I, I'm just saying, like, you give her like an actress in a comedy award. You get what I mean? You don't give her like yeah. the actual award. You give her like in a comedy. Like, yeah. But I think I think even though, like I said, I don't think it's a like a unique achievement in cinema or anything. I think it's still a good movie that like at least has the potential to like inspire conversation and thought and stuff and like explores a very like specific topic in an interesting way. And I'm just like, man, I wish I could see, hear more people talk about those at the end of the year. You know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I also think what the most exciting Oscar race was when we were in college was weirdly one. Well, Sarah probably disagrees, but I think Caleb was, uh, Caleb was here when I watched this one and it was the year um, Sylvester Stallone um, like was on the ballot for, creed and people thought he had a chance of winning but moreover that was the year it actually looked for a little bit mad max fury road might win like everything and that got like everyone watching like very excited just because it was like what the heck is going on here that this movie and sarah i know i don't know, I think you like fury road so i'm sorry about this but it, are you, it wait more, are you saying that i would disagree with sylvester stallone or that i would disagree with fury no road? no I, i'm I, this came more in my mind because of the fury road thing where it looked for a second like fury road might actually win best picture because it was winning like all the technical stuff, you know, and I remember just being in that group of people where I think you'd be, I think you agree that Stallone should have won, but I'm just saying like, I think there's always this risk, right? Where people, when I talk about this, and it's like people are like, "Well, then are you excited for Barbie and Oppenheimer to sweep because they were successful films?" No, because I think I personally think of Ryan Gosling, and I think that both be a very exciting win and a very dumb win. Personally, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> but. I don't know. It's just this thing where the whole, I don't know. I think we're, I'm getting talking to in specifics, but it's like this new voice thing where it's like, it's not even necessarily a new voice or like, you know, a better one. That's actually a better example of when the Oscars was exciting <laughs> was Moonlight winning, right? Like when Moonlight won, that was insane. <laughs> well, and I think that year in particular too, like, I just feel like, I don't know. This whole thing with Barbie and Oppenheimer and stuff, like, I just, I feel, and even, like, everything everywhere all at once, because people can pretend that it's an indie movie, and in name it is, but it's not really an indie movie. I just feel like, it's just, like, blockbusters now. I don't think that, like, I know there's this whole, I we're, like, going totally off track with this movie, but this whole thing, <laughs> like, I think about, like, Two Leslie and that whole, like, drama and stuff, and I haven't seen it. I don't know. But, it, like, if she gave a good performance it is this very weird thing of like well she's not popular enough or you know the movie was too small and like and i know there was all kinds of stuff surrounding it like pops in that who she kicked out right like it's pretty like she either picked out kicked out viola davis or daniel deadweiler i mean i get that i get but it's also like and that's but that's inherently the problem too is that these women aren't even in the conversation in the first place like it's a problem with the it's a systemic problem it's not and it's like, I can't really blame Andrea Riceboro for wanting to be nominated because she would never be nominated anyways. There was, let me look up the name of the movie, but there was this movie earlier I saw one of the pundits who 
always shows up in my like for you tab on Twitter. Um, but uh, I'm trying to find the name of the movie is Monica and it's about a trans woman. And apparently her the movie was like the, the main actor in the movie said on Instagram, our film was never put up on the Gotham Awards website. So our film was never even considered for this indie award. Um, maybe it's not the Gotham Awards. It was some awards because I think now I'm now I want to see like maybe it did get a Gotham nomination. But my point is, it's like this really small movie that I I didn't get a chance to see. I wanted to see it. it played at the Siskel Center a little bit, but it was just something where it's like, why is this film, you know, being ignored, right? Um, and it's like, well, because they never had a chance to be seen. Basically. Yeah, I mean, that's and, the big, that's the whole thing is that if they want you to see a movie, then you'll see it. Otherwise, good luck. Yeah. And I'd agree where it's something where it's like the two Leslie nom is kind of exciting, but it's also like weird that that's what causes them to do like a big investigation into campaigning, like right. how campaigning works. Right. It just like, feels, it just feels perverse. It just doesn't feel, I don't know. And, like theoretically it should be much easier and in some ways it is to be able to make a film with a low budget and get it out to people's eyes because like the internet is supposedly supposed to democratize it and in some ways it does make it easier to get it to like film festivals and stuff like that but because of that that also means that the curation and like what draws our attention is much more focused. And I think that's maybe why I'm so upset by the idea that there has to be like one winner to something is that like, I don't think we should be hyper-focusing on one or even five or 10 pictures, right? Like I think there's, there's a whole cacophony of movies that comes out each year and there sh- we should have better ways as film lovers of elevating those and they're like, that's not going to change the Academy because the Academy is a giant promotion machine for the industry. But like, we can move our focus away from the Academy. I also think this comes down to for even not bigger films, but like middle sized movies, right? Because Barbie is a big movie. Oppenheimer is a big movie. I think about 2019, and I think Sarah knows what I'm about to talk about. Uh, and it relates to female directors. When Sony, I, th- I, I feel like studios always have priorities, right? Like Fox Search, like this year, their priority is poor things, right? That is the movie they're going to try to push to get the most noms. Universal, they might have other movies eligible, but they're going to push Oppenheimer the most. Warner Brothers, I firmly believe one of the reasons they moved Dune to next year so they can focus on Barbie. Like, um, and I bring all this up because I think about in 2019 when Sony, their top priority was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, their second biggest priority was Little Women. And their fourth priority was a movie that I think Sarah and I both agree should have got a lot more attention. Um, and that's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, and I think about how Marielle Heller had the same thing happen to her previous years. Um, this is a 2018, right? 2018 is, uh, can you forgive me? And that's the year Fox, because that was back when Fox was like, and Fox Search like kind of had to share resources because they weren't like part of the giant Disney conglomerate. So Fox had Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. That was the big thing. I feel like Searchlight also had like a huge movie that year. where It's like, this is what we have to push. Oh, yeah. Searchlight had the favorite. Right. So can you forgive me? It was just kind of like, 
yeah, that, that's a movie that exists and has Melissa McCarthy in it. And I think about that all the time where it's like, even the big studios, right? They have to pick stuff to push and they're going to put like Netflix, right? Netflix might have some really great movies this year. They could have pushed from the whole year. I, I have a friend of mine who loves, he's been telling me all year, I need to watch Stay Clip from Tyrone. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard it's great. I want to watch it. And he's like, this should be an Oscar contender, like the way Get Out was and stuff like that. Or like how Jordan Peele movies always at least get that push, right? And Netflix is just going to push Maestro because it's they got the big names, right? Big names and the big nose. <laughs> <laughs> great. Or even like in 2021 where they push Don't Look Up because it has the big names, not because it's the right. best movie they put out. Um, I just feel like the and you and can I'm, argue that about Barbie too, right? Like you can argue that about Barbie as well. Well, and Barbie, year. Barbie is kind of an outlier, but I also think that I personally believe that Noah Baumbach's name attached to it also helps. Um, but it is that idea that, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, is like they they're never going to push who they should push. It's always going to be a Nolan. It's always going to be a Scorsese. It's always going to be those names and i think that that's just i don't know for me it's it's discouraging it's frustrating it's just like you know and i can think of maybe like five other women that should have been nominated for director at some point and it's just like you know when are we going to get to that point when we do start to see some semblance of equality here and I feel like even like when foreign directors are nominated, I feel like it's such a spectacle and it's such like a, you know, you know, they're not going to win. I mean, Bond won, but like it, that movie had I traction. Like are, I refer to something now always when people like give me their like Oscar predictions as um, I call it the foreign slot. And that's just there's like there's always now a slot for an international director. Which is great, just, but it's also... Is, it's but a, there's also only one slot. It like, that's a, what's frustrating about it. But it's a spectacle, and it is like... Like, the year of Get Out and Lady Bird really did just feel like a spectacle year. It felt like... Like, it was hard not to feel like it was a quota year. It just felt like such a long overdue thing for both women and well, black directors. And it was like, oh, we'll just knock it out. You that know? was just an over... That was like... That was the year that everyone got a first nomination. Besides... PTA, who hadn't got a nomination in a while. But the other two were big also. I want to be very blunt, and I'm not knocking him because he's not a white guy, but their big white nerd directors were Christopher Nolan and Guillermo del Toro getting their first nominations that year too, right? Like, But that's, that's the point, being, is it is yeah, yeah. just, you know, you have there's your... Also the, no, go ahead. There's also the other problem of what type of movies get nominated, right? Like, if it's a movie about a black person, is it going to be a movie about suffering? Right? Like most of the time. Yeah. It's like, we don't elevate the stories of what that people are telling. They're oh. joyful. Like we don't get that's joyful why, queer stories, like, except well, everything that's everywhere. why um, I really hope this year, even I, I saw the movie and I thought the movie was completely average. Like I gave it a three out of five. I'm not, a, I'm going to be, I've already dubbed it as like, this is what will probably be the Oscar villain for me this year. But in all that said, I would like Jeffrey Wright to get nominated for American fiction. It'd be great to have him nominated for a movie where he is, it's a parody of black trauma. You know what I mean? It's not like actually capitalizing on it. You know what I mean? And also it's one of those things where it's kind of like uh, Andrea Riceboro in a way, 
where it'd be nice for this big renowned character actor to get nominated in lead type of thing. Because I think everyone agrees Jeffrey Wright is a great actor. And it's kind of silly he's never been nominated for an Oscar before. And I like that his vehicle to finally get him that lead actor nomination isn't, as you say, like, for example, the other movie this year, the uh, to me, what I view as, like, the big black trauma movie, or that's probably not a way to put it, but I look at, like, the Oscar bait, right? That's more what I mean. The big African-American Oscar bait this year is Rustin, right? And that, to me, is just, like, that is Oscar bait on paper, right? And then the other thing is, like, here's Jeffrey Wright in a comedy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, but I'm also saying it shouldn't be a world where I have to be, like, Who's going to get the nom? Coleman Domingo or Jeffrey Wright, right? But it they is. should be able to both get yeah. it. Because I love Coleman Domingo. Yeah. I want him to be nominated. Yeah, well, it's something where it's like, okay, well, Killian Murphy is locked in, which is fine. He's never been nominated before. Leo's got to get in, right? Because it's Leo. Like He's got to get in. Bradley Cooper's got to get in because he's got the nose. <laughs> And all we sound, we sound very gone. bad when we say that, by the way. That we're meaning the nose looks goofy. He's not getting a nomination because he has a fake nose. I just I mean, want to clarify. But isn't he? It's like Brendan Fraser. <laughs> like, no, no, we got no. to get Paul Giamatti the nom because he's back. So it's like, oh, we got one slot left for one of these guys. And knowing the Academy, they'll probably find some white person to give it to anyway. So, well, right. yeah, it's frustrating. I'm actually excited for Rustin just because, like, I feel like that's a historical character that I've been wanting to see get more attention. To me, the whole thing, though, also just feels like I think of 2019 and how Eddie Murphy came back with one of the greatest performances he's ever given. And Netflix was like, we got to focus on some other stuff. We got Merit Story and the Irishman. And that's the vibe Rustin gives me also. It's like Netflix is like, oh, we got Maestro. Like, we got to focus on Maestro. (laughs) Yeah. What? Is there a movie that's come out recently that did not get much attention that you would like, you would want to promote that's either by an international filmmaker, a female filmmaker, a queer filmmaker, you know, that just didn't get attention because it's not the type of movie that either the industry talks about or film internet, you know, film talk, film Twitter, whatever talks about. I mean, mm, I say like, <laughs> like Marielle Heller's works. I mean, she did get, yes. well, she didn't, but you know, like both her big films did have, you know, noms at least. Um, I would say like Hustlers. I know people clown on like Jennifer Lopez, like having buzz, but like she did. She was good in that movie. I really think very like subversive, transgressive stuff. You have Lynn Ramsey. Um, can I give a shout out to something the Academy got right on mm. for a second? Which is, I think the coolest nom last year was Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. That was by far my favorite nomination last year. Not, he never had a chance to win, but one phenomenal actor and honestly, really good movie that was completely, maybe it was, yeah, it was Apple, but completely released under the radar, you know? And I don't know. That was one I wanted to like, that's cool. It got in, you know? Um, well, and you I said feel no female kind of... filmmakers, right? You said female filmmakers. I have one on my list from last year, too. I have two that were in my best actress category. One of them is Daniel Deadweiler, who obviously got a ton of talk everywhere. But everyone was the lead of Happening, which was the film that won the Golden Lion in 21, but got a US release in 22. Um, those are two ones. I'm sorry, Sarah, I cut you off. And I shouldn't do that when we're asking you for like great film- female filmmakers because you're way more educated on it than ever we are. Well, and I haven't, I have, I haven't seen it yet. But like, 
I know that you're going to disagree, but like, like Coda, for example, is like such a non, it's just like such a non Oscar film to me. And it does kind of make me sad that like, it only had, you know, three awards and it won them all. But it's like, I wish that like, if we think that something is the best picture, I kind of wish that that translated to every other category, especially with like, like Jane Campion winning best director. And it's like, well, nothing else was represented. Well, it's something where it's like, to me, it's like, it's this weird thing the Academy always has where it's about momentum, right? And the way the season is broken up always messes with momentum. Like, we'll talk about this eventually. The Irishman, 12 nominations, no wins. Okay, that's kind of weird, right? Like, um, clearly, at some point, like, at the time between the Oscar nominations and the actual voting, people were really... I mean, Parasite dominated that season anyway, you know? Like, people were loving Parasite. But it was just a movie that kept growing and growing. Likewise, for The Power of the Dog... It was peaking when the nominations came out, right? But so since it peaked then, it was like people were checking out Coda because it got nominated, and that's what made it go up. Um, I'm looking at female-directed movies on my film last year also. Was nominated for documentary, but I nominated for Best Director. I think All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, final film. We should consider documentaries for Best Picture sometimes. That um, was that was my number one picture of last year. I know I said we shouldn't have number ones, but... <laughs> I mean, it's a great film. Um, I also have, um, hold on. I had one that wasn't a female directed, um, one, but it was a movie I thought was under the radar. Um, where was it? I just had it and I lost it. I don't know. I don't know which one what, what I was thinking of. Uh, but I'm also opening up the last few years cause I have all this stuff on letterbox. Well, uh, like even oh. like, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, I just looked at my winners for 2018 and none of them were nominated and they were all from. The biggest film that I gave a win to was The French Dispatch in 2021. Sorry, I said 2018. Oh, actually, that's not true. I gave one to Drive My Car, but that's not like a that's like a not a normal person big movie. You know what I mean? Like, well, even but. like like my number one currently of the year is, and I I mean I don't I don't see a ton of movies each year, but like my current number one is 1001, and I feel like like it's you know it stars you know stars a rapper. It's very like specific to cult to a cultural area it's very like it's not the type of movie that people would pay attention to and i just found it to be really charming and i loved the performances in it and i loved the writing and it just you know stuff like that like it did win at sundance but like sundance is like a graveyard <laughs> you know i have opened up now my top 10 of the year and you know there's stuff in here like oppenheimer like guardians 3 like killers of the flower moon uh, one take I've had for a while is we need an animator nominated for Best Director, and I feel like The Boy and the Heron is our last shot at it, and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I look at what you said, where it's like smaller movies that aren't going to get noticed. And I look at a movie that's like, and this actually could be, well, you know, I'm going to say something else, and I'm going to, if you want to transition to whatever topic you had, I think this would be a good way to do it. Um, but a female-directed movie, completely dumped by its studio, um, is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret which is a film I think is people are going to keep coming back to from this year as time goes on. That is one of those things where I see it. I'm like, I think this will eventually find its audience. Um, but it's a shame because I don't think it's going to get nominated for anything, you know, as as weak as supporting actresses and how obvious Rachel McAdams should be there for that movie. Um, but then this is the one I was going to say, which if you want to transition to the topic yet in mind, uh, this is how to blow up a pipeline, which is a movie that the Academy is never going to consider, even if it had support by its distributor, but Neon also dumped it against Bo is Afraid, right? Yeah. They knew that like it was like, 
we don't want to get in trouble with the law with this movie. And so they dumped it against the film bro movie of the, the spring, right? Uh, Which it never had a chance a to find shame. its audience. What? Because it's such a shame because that's a movie that should be talked about. Like that should have a long conversation about it. Yes. It's a movie that should be nominated for editing. It's a movie that should be no- nominated for sound design. It's a movie that at SAG should be nominated for best ensemble. It's not a movie you can pick out members of the ensemble, but you can say everyone in its group, right? It's got beautiful cinematography. It's, but again, it does not have this, the support of its distributor at all. Just completely throw throughout that movie because they, I also think they didn't know how to market it. To be honest, I look at the trailer of that movie and it looks like it's a much, much preacher movie than it is. It's a very political movie. I don't think it's a preachy movie. If that makes sense. Um, and I know that's a movie directed by a white guy, which isn't exactly the same thing, but I was saying it because if we want to talk about the everything Caleb, I know I wanted to talk about in this episode, which well, was talking about the foreign language category and how you need the support of your country. Before we get into that, I do just yes. want to shout out two things real quick. One is one that I caught at the bell court last year, which you can now rent online. Um, it's called Leonora will never die. It is a Filipino film. I was really bummed. I missed that at um, the music <laughs> box when they showed it. It's so much fun. I know, I know you, um, it isn't as easy to get into foreign films at home, but I, this is probably one I'd recommend just because it's so interesting. It centers a perspective in action movies that I've never seen before um, with this older F- Filipino woman. It's it's not a perfect movie, but I don't think we should be elevating just perfect movies from filmmakers. Yes. Um, like I think I think this has some valuable insights. And then uh, just from a queer perspective, Marlon Riggs is kind of like an entry level into queer cinema, but such an important voice and someone who died way too young. Um, so either honestly, any of his films, but either uh, black is black ain't or uh, tongues untied Great from film. Marlon Riggs. Um, wait, before I, before I transition to this topic, do we want to go into this topic? Cause of the amount of time we've been recording. I don't or, have anything to say about it, really. <laughs> Except okay. that I think I think the current way the Academy does it is stupid. <laughs> I would agree. Sarah, what about you? Um, I mean, sure. I I don't know. Every time that I see like that a foreign movie was put up, like submitted, and that it's not chosen, it's like, well, I mean, just look at like like modern retelling Les Miserables versus Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's all you need to know. I mean, this thing repeated itself this year, too. I think I mentioned this last time. If not, I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest. I saw Anatomy of a Fall, and I don't know if it would actually... I think there's a decent chance it'd be ruled ineligible, because there's a lot of English in that film. But Anatomy of a Fall not being picked, and they instead go with, like, a French cooking movie. The taste of the things. It's like, it's just about people who cook. And I'm just like, huh? One of these movies won the palm, and it's not like Titan, where it's obvious that like the Academy isn't going to like this, right? Like Anatomy of Falls, a courtroom drama. It would make like they're they're gonna like that if they see it, probably. It's still getting an Oscar campaign from Neon. Did she do it? dot com? Um, but I uh yeah I and then obviously you get into the thing where it's like that allows govern governments to censor certain types of movies. Um. And that's obviously very complicated. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. And I don't know what the solution is, but there has to be at least three or four better ways of doing it than this. 
I don't know. Did I pitch it on the air last time or no? Because I know I, I've 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 always had a solution for it. But if I said it last time, I don't need to say it again. I don't think you said it last time. Um, my answer to this would be um, everything is eligible, but it's kind of like what I was referring to earlier, but in a much more. I think everything should be eligible. Every foreign film should claim a country, right? So, like, there's a movie coming out this year that's going to probably win Best Foreign Film called The Zone of Interest. Um, and it's a film that's like, who's going to submit this? Is it going to be the UK? Is it going to be Germany? Is it going to be Canada? Is it going to be, you know, like, there are a lot of different options. All I'm saying is a movie like that needs to claim a country that it wants to be submitted for. And then there's just a free vote for everything. And it's not the top five that get in, it's the top from each country. Like, it is a top five, but like, say, let's say, the Boy and the Heron and Fallen Leaves, which is the actual Japanese submission this year. Let's say they both make the top five. Well, no, that can't work. You have to remove whichever Japanese film gets less from the five lineup. You can't just have much of you. you only, every film, every country would get one rep still, but it's not like the country would decide who represents them. Yeah, which is funny because then you get something possibly or last year. I feel like that film, No Bears, had the buzz and probably had it. I believe Janice was behind that. So it had a company that could have probably campaigned it, but they couldn't because there's no way Iraq is going to, uh, I should check to make sure it's Iraq. I think it is Iraq, but it might be Iran. Um, I believe it is Iraq though. Um, I want, I'm just double checking. It's Iranian. Sorry. Oops. Um, but Iran's never going to submit that movie, right? Cause it completely trashes their government. But I, I think that's the solution really is like, you have to just have a, straight vote and the films that you know you can't have like five french films nominated right because then you would get something where like yeah les miserables might have placed in the top five but i think portrait lady on fire would have got more votes right so it wouldn't get no sorry les miserables you're you're screwed because portrait lady on fire actually deserves a nomination yeah it would be better than what we have now yeah but we probably should wrap up Sarah. Yeah. What was the movie I refused to talk about nominated for? Um, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, Best Director, Best Actor for Giancarlo Giannini, and Best Original Screenplay. So this is really tough for me. Army is like, uh, give it a foreign film, because I don't know what it was up against, and this is probably pretty good. But I think my answer is just going to be, Give it a best director. We should have a female winning best director earlier. Maybe her winning would make more female film filmmakers nominated. You know, I don't know if that's actually like a chain reaction that could happen, but I don't think it deserves anything else here, really, personally. So, director, why not? Um, it's definitely a directorial vision put to screen. That's also too. Like, I can definitely see that's a person with a very distinct vision made this movie too. So, it's also well deserved. I have to share an anecdote, an anecdote that, that I did not get to share during this episode. Um, when I was in high school, when I would tell people that I, like adults, that I was going to study film in school, um, they would say, have you heard of Catherine Bigelow? She won an Oscar. <laughs> and... I just, this is just my PSA. Expand your horizons. Just watch more movies. Just please. 
watch more movies. Um, I think it's great that people saw Barbie, but watch more movies. Um, also, I didn't see Barbie. <laughs> so there are literally like two art house films out. Maybe they're not out anymore because this episode's coming out in two weeks. The two big art house movies out right now are directed by women. So go see them. Anatomy of Fall was good. I still need to see Priscilla. I need to see, but, uh, before it leaves theaters, I need to see Meg Ryan's movie. Um, that's true. And Five Nights at Freddy's. I already saw it. Actually, I feel, like, I feel like Five Nights at Freddy's falls under the Barbie thing where it's like there are more than just these films directed by Yes, Barbie, but it's know? also important that it, I mean, it's, it's having a genre film directed by a woman is huge. I mean, it is. I, I, I also think it's really cool that Five Nights at Freddy's, I feel like, you know, Barbie, Wonder Woman, all these movies that are successful directed by women are usually marketed as being directed by women, whereas Five Nights at Freddy's is, exists and no just happens to be directed by women. Yeah. 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 Um, which also, makes, makes me nervous for the sequel, but we'll see. Anyways, yeah. I'm going to give it to best director. And I do feel like it's, I, the one scene when they're in the courtroom and there's no dialogue, it's just a score and it's just close ups of the faces. I felt like was very well directed. I think the vision came together very well. I think it was a well-directed movie. Um, I'm going to break from the pack here a little bit, but not not wander too far because I'm going to give it best screenplay. Uh, this is usually an award I avoid, but like this is such a unique story and I could have sworn watching it, it would have been based by a book because it has that kind of literary feel, but it isn't. But I think you can definitely like there's a reason why it's such a such an effective, strong story is because it was written by the same person who directed it, who clearly had a vision and an understanding of how to craft a, a screenplay for the screen. Um, so I'm going to give it screenplay. <clears throat> All right. But what a nomination are you going to add? Ooh. Um, hmm. I know the one I want to give. It's difficult. There are a couple acting ones I could theoretically give it, but I'm thinking I'm going to give it to the editing because it's a difficult structure to pull off. Um, so the macro editing works, but also I think like, you know, it's, it's not a scene that's easy to watch, but like the rape scene is edited very well. Um, same with many of the other scenes on this. There was a very effective uh, cutting in this. Um, I'm going to give it best score. Great score. Fantastic score. Uh, okay. Sorry. I don't mean, I feel like this, you can do that. I don't know anything about the score. I feel like the score used a lot of archive stuff. That's that's my pushback. But then the King's Speech got nominated I mean, for best score. I didn't see it say so. that anywhere, so... No, you're right. I don't see it anywhere. I just thought it gave me the vibe. So you're probably right. Also, I'm pretty sure the song at the end did mention the character by name when it's singing along to the music. So that made me feel like it was an original score throughout. That's fair. Uh, I knew this one actually pretty well, too, although I was tempted to give supporting actress to Shirley Stoller. Um, but I wanted to give it cinematography. I actually really like the look of this film. Um, one of those things where I always mention where it's like, I like camera movements more in cinematography. And I think in this era of Twitter and like Facebook being like one perfect shot forgets that one of the coolest things about cinematography is how the camera moves. And I think this movie has really good camera movements. And I think it's just a well done film in that regard. So you guys want to know what we're doing next time? 
Yes, sure. please. Well, next time, it's a very big Oscars for us. It is the 50th Academy Awards. And I might institute a rule change that I thought of pitching for a while because we're reaching a special milestone beyond it being the 50th Academy Awards. But can I have a drum roll, please, for the movie we're going to watch? We're watching Herbert Ross's The Turning Point. Herbert Ross is the director of Funny Lady, if you remember. And the reason this is a big game changer for us is this is our first film, I believe, with double-digit noms. This film has 11 nominations and no wins, which is why I might pitch a rule change, but we'll see. We'll see if we actually agree with that or not. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting-looking movie to me. Looks like it's a, little, it's a bit of a thriller, a bit of a drama relationship type of thing um yeah this looks good to me i'm 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 looking forward to this one uh but yeah what about you guys uh shirley mclean so that's promising yes it's got our it's got the first person on the podcast that two of us have seen in live person first movie where we've we've seen the person is he still alive i thought he died recently Let's check. No, he's is. still alive. He's alive. <laughs> it says is. Tom Skerritt's in this, and me and Sarah went to a Q&A with him after an alien screening a couple years ago. So. But yeah. Turning point next time. All right. I'm Danny Vincent. Follow me on Letterboxd at Blankness. This is my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. Wherever you find your podcasts. Yeah. That's me. I'm Caleb Bone. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts: Hot Trash Unlimited, All New Fifty Two, and Star Wars Therapy. Uh, and I do some of those with our editor Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe. You can find me on Letterbox S G K E S S G E E K Y. You can find me on Instagram S G K twenty nine. You can follow my blog Femtober on Instagram and Tumblr. You can find us on Facebook, the Snub Club, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast, and X, formerly known as Twitter, Snub Club Pod. All right, we'll see you next time for The Turning Point. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.